It's great to see all of you and welcome you to Providence Church. Welcome you back or welcome you for the first time. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so cool to see the second graders up here and think about everybody uh, heading back to, to school with the last service. My wife, Rachel, was sitting right down here and I looked at her after that and she's just like crying. I was like, you're, and I did it in the service, like, you're crying over the second graders? And she's like, yes. And I get it because uh, just this morning, she prays for me every Sunday morning early before I leave. And, and we were just uh, praying and giving thanks for this community, like you guys, like, um, and what it means to be a part of a, a people who would support and raise up and believe. Uh, you could imagine it, right, as they were standing here, just the greatness that God has put in them and, and what could come out. So I just begin by saying it's great to, to be with you privilege to be um, one of your pastors. I know I speak for Mark and Jenny and my wife and I just, we're just thankful to be a part of this and uh, that on a, on a summer Sunday, you guys would come fill up this room uh, because we're longing for God, right? Longing for God to, to speak to us. Um, several years back, like a bunch of years, like 15 years ago, my first uh, daughter was born. Her name is Mary and my wife, Rachel, who I just mentioned, was in labor for 27 hours. So it was like really long all night long into the, into the next day. And then it was like, Mary was, was born. And um, so 27 hours of labor, Rachel was really tired, but I was exhausted. I, it just, it took everything, it took everything out of me. Uh, and I mean, I was just like spent, like, I mean, emotionally, physically, I felt like I'd put everything out there. And, and, but, but then we have a baby, right? Um, and so Mary's there, and we're, in, we're thrilled with her, and it's, a, it's amazing. Um, but it seems like Mary was with us three or four minutes when a nurse comes in, introduces herself, and begins to gather Mary up to take her away. And I, I was unfamiliar with this, this part, and, and literally as she began to roll Mary out, I said, where are you going? What's happening? What are you doing? She said, well, I'm, I'm taking her to the nursery. And I said, you can't take our baby. We'd waited nine, we'd waited all this time for her. And now some lady I don't even know is, is taking her away. So she invited, she said, you can come with me. You can walk with me down the hall. So we walked down the halls across this crosswalk at Vanderbilt uh, Hospital to the nursery. We get to the nursery. There's a keypad. She puts the keypad, the number in, and she begins to go in. And I kind of start going with her. And she's like, no, th like, this is where, where you stop. But I had my foot in the door. Uh, and <laughs> And she looks at me and she says, come on. So I got to go in the nursery and there's all these wonderful nurses and doctors and they're, you know, doing all this great stuff to babies, getting them cleaned up. And I got to watch Mary get weighed and, you know, measured out and they put her underneath these lights, this baby. And I was so happy. I was so in love with her and I was so afraid, right? And I was still there. I hadn't left. And, um, in my exhaustion, the lady, uh, the nurse, took a chair. She put a folding chair down next to Mary's little crib there in the nursery. And I just sat down. I was like, oh, man. And I felt my phone buzz in my pocket right here. I had a voicemail. So I opened it up, flip phone, and I, uh, I did the um, voicemail. And it was my friend, this guy Tommy, who was a couple steps ahead of me in life and had older kids and that kind of thing. And he said, uh, yeah, this is a voicemail. He said, hey, Jacob. I'm outside of the glass looking at you. And I look up and I didn't, I didn't realize like all the people are looking at me, you know, there's <laughs> babies are like pointing at their kids and stuff. So I had felt this embarrassment, um, but I kept listening and Tommy said, congratulations. She's beautiful. He said, I remember he said, I love you, man. But this is the part I can quote word for word. He said, Jacob, Mary's every breath in and every breath out are not your responsibility. 
So get up, walk out, and come out here with the normal people. <laughs> so I got up, I walked out, and I had to trust the breath of that baby to the Lord. I had to entrust him that day and then again and again. Now, some of y'all have heard me tell that story, but I don't know if you, you heard it, right? This is a panic attack story. This is a I'm in over my head story. This is I'm an adult and I have a kid and I don't know what I'm doing story. This is, this is supposed to be a great moment, um, but I'm floundering kind of story. This is I have great people around me, but I'm still isolating myself story. This is I'm in a valley and I need to see the change between talking about a God I know about and knowing a real God. Um, we've been looking at Psalm 23 this summer. It's beautiful, isn't it? Just hearing our people uh, say it, it's beautiful. To some of us, it's uh, sentimental, right? It was a part of our growing up and makes us feel different things. For some of us, it's new, but yet it's poetic and rhythmic, and we, we, have, we have grown into it over the course of this summer. But I believe if we get to the heart of what David was feeling, David wrote Psalm 23, if we get to the heart of David when he wrote Psalm 23, we will see that he was not picturing it on a pretty bookmark like we did, which is fine. But I think more he was saying in this psalm, God got me through it. God, you, you, you got me up and you got me moving and, you, and you, you saved me in this time. God's goodness and mercy pushed me through. We might say, through what, David? And he said, yeah, through the good stuff, through the pastures, through the still waters. But did you hear about the valley? David says, when I was in the valley, I had to get up and I had to walk. And that's when God moved from being someone I knew about to someone I knew Here's why I say that. Here's why I think David experienced something, a shift from God being someone he knew about to someone he knew, because there's a switch that happens uh, in the verse about the valley of the shadow. Pastor Mark walked us through it just a few weeks ago, and we spent a whole week just uh, on this part of the, the psalm. But you may have noticed it as well as you read it uh, yourself over the summer. I'll give it to you again. Here's what happens in Psalm 23. He makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. And then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you, you heard it, right? He, 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 but then in the valley, you. David stops talking about God, and he starts talking to God, with God. David switches from telling us about a God he knows to talking to God right in front of us. David has no shame about it. It's like he wants to tell us about God. Yeah, God's, uh, God, he does this, he does that. But then when he talks about the valley, he says, excuse me for a moment, you were with me. Right? He changes his, uh, his person in that, in that statement. And listen how the psalm goes on. You are with me turns into your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You are with me is the pivotal moment in Psalm 23. And you are with me, what I want to share with you today, is the pivotal moment in our lives when God is not just a God you talk about, but a shepherd who you know and who you know is with you, a God who's with you all the time, no matter what, no strings attached, and it's valley changing. David wrote Psalm 23 in the Hebrew language, so the language of the Jews is what Psalm 23 was written in. 
And Psalm uh, 23 starts with 26 Hebrew words, and then this phrase, you are with me, and then 26 Hebrew words. You are with me is right in the middle of the psalm. 26 words, then you are with me, and then 26 words. Is that a coincidence? Most scholars would say it's not, that a careful poet would know exactly what he or she was doing with the economy of words. And in fact, it was a, a Jewish pattern to have this kind of symmetry that you put the thing that you most want people to see in the middle. To me, I see it almost like a year, you know, with 26 weeks on each side and, and lift it up in the middle, this word that you are with me. You are with me is the pivot uh, in the psalm. David uh, switches from he, 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 and it's like pivot, you, you, you. And that switch most often happens where? In the valley. So what I want to do this morning is I want to tell you about a few valleys that take place in David's life and see if we can see why he changed from talking about God to knowing God. The first is the valley of Elah. We're going to call it the valley of your biggest battle. Now, you may not know the name, the valley of Elah, but you probably know the story. Here's the story. A champion, Goliath, a giant, a Philistine. Uh, Goliath, uh, his height was six cubits and a span, which is nine feet, nine inches. Goliath's armor alone weighed 125 pounds. So picture this, the Valley of Elah in the middle. On one hill is the strong Philistine army led by the giant Goliath. And on the other side of the Valley of Elah is another hill. And that's where the newly formed ragtag army of this new nation, Israel, is. Every day, Goliath comes out and he shouts and he taunts the men on the other side. He says, choose a man, have him come down in the valley. We will fight. If he wins, we'll become your subjects. But if I win, you will serve us. For 40 days, Goliath shouts this taunt. You guys remember how long 40 days is? It's a long time. When they look back on this story, they couldn't believe that Goliath came back day after day, 40 days, every morning and every evening. Goliath shouted his taunt, made the challenge, and it turns out that no one from the army of Israel was willing to go into the valley with Goliath. But David, a shepherd boy, was sent by his father with lunch provisions for his three older brothers who were in the army of Israel. David's dad sent him there to take some lunch and to come back with a report about how his sons were doing. It's a crazy story. But David, on his journey to bring, his, bring lunch to his brothers, hears Goliath making these shouts, and he thinks, who is this guy I think he is that he can defy the Lord's army? And he tells the king. He ends up talking to King Saul, and he tells King Saul. And King Saul says, you are a boy. And here's what David says to Saul. Here's what David says to the king. He says, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of lion and the paw of bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And King Saul says, okay. <laughs> the next part of the story is the part that you may know. It's the part that takes place, guess where? In the valley. David walks into the valley with a slingshot and five stones. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And David says, I come in the name of the Lord Almighty. 
and he sinks a stone into the forehead of the giant. He falls face down to the ground, and young David, who has no sword, takes up Goliath's huge sword and cuts off the head of Goliath. This is what the scripture says. It says he picks up the head of Goliath. And the Philistine army, seeing that, flees. And King Saul calls for David to come to him. And he walks up. Again, this is in the scriptures. Still holding the head of Goliath in his hand. And Saul says, who are you? And David says, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. This is the David who wrote Psalm 23. When David wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, was he talking about the valley of Elah? Probably. It's probably in there. Was the place God became for David not someone he talked about, but someone he could talk to uh, in that valley? I'd say so. I would be talking to God, not about God, if I was walking into that valley. I talk to people every day who are fighting the battle of their lives. And you do too. It's not just something that's a part of my job. Every day I talk to people who are fighting big battles, some of them their biggest battle ever. And if you talk to them, you'll know it's a valley. The valley of divorce, the valley of cancer, the valley of panic attacks, the valley of postpartum depression. In the valley of your biggest battle is a great time to change from talking about God to talking to God. (laughs) David teaches us that the valley of your biggest battle can become the valley of God's greatest glory. What if that, that valley, that battle you're in right now, that this could be the moment that when you look back, you'll say that's the moment where God was most glorified. We still talk about this story of David and Goliath and God continues to get the glory. Nobody really hears this and thinks, man, that David must have been a bad dude or that was a real whiz with a slingshot. No, what do we think? God was on his side. The next valley that I see David finding himself in is what we'll call the valley of I didn't think it would look like this. Anybody in that one? Uh, this story takes place in a place called the Desert of Engedi. The Desert of Engedi is right near the shores of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the earth. Engedi, which is just above the Dead Sea, is still a thousand feet below sea level. So we're fast forwarding through the story where King Saul is now trying to take the life of David. David has become this hero for killing Goliath and the fear and jealousy that's rising up in King Saul leads him into kind of this rage that leads David to have to run for his life. And so David runs as far as one can go and as low as one can go. Where? En Gedi. And in En Gedi, David and his men, he's got this ragtag group with him and he takes his men into a cave to hide. King Saul comes looking for David with 3,000 men, hot pursuit. But when Saul reaches En Gedi looking for David, well, uh, nature calls, okay? He has to go to the bathroom, all right? This is in the Bible. Feels weird saying it out loud for some reason. Um, Saul has to go to the bathroom, and he sees a cave, and he goes into the cave to relieve himself, and it just so happens to be the same cave that David and his men hiding in. You can't make this up. Now, the reason, y'all are looking at me really weird. The reason I call this the valley of I didn't think it would look like this is just think for David, anointed as a boy to be a king, slays the giant Goliath, now a fugitive on the run, hiding out in a cave, and then the king who's searching for him comes into the cave and uses it as his bathroom. I'm just guessing probably for David, he's like, I didn't think it would look like this. And so for us, if we find ourselves in that valley, that low place, and what I mean for you is you're like, I really didn't think my life would look like this. Is that anybody here? 
I really didn't think, I didn't think, uh, you know, having kids would feel like this. I didn't think my retirement would look like this at all. I didn't know that this relationship would feel this way. Like this isn't how I pictured it. If that's you, it's really important to see what David does in this story because you will be tempted to take God's design for your life into your own hands in this valley. If you're in the valley of I didn't think it would look like this, you are in the, in the, in the place of most temptation to begin to take things into your own hands. David's in the cave, amazingly. His men are in there with him too. Saul comes in to use the bathroom and David's men say to him, don't you get it, David? This is your moment. Take him out. But David remembers he was anointed as a boy to be a king, not a king killer. And so David does not kill the king. He goes, and this is his choice. He cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And then when Saul leaves the cave, David runs out holding the corner of the robe and says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. This is literally what he said, 1 Samuel 24. This is David talking to Saul after Saul used the bathroom in the cave. This day, you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he's the Lord's anointed. David is still seeking to do what's right even when his life isn't going right. The valley of I didn't think it would look like this can become the valley of, but I'm still going to be faithful. I'm still gonna do the right thing. One of the most tempting times for us to make our own way is when the way God is making doesn't meet our expectations. I have to tell you something. God is not here to meet our expectations. He's way bigger than that. He's working a much bigger plan. Sometimes I get so frustrated that my expectations for how I want my life to turn out and I want my life to look are not being met. But that's not what's promised to us. That's a hard word, but it's a good word because God's good plan in the end, in the end, will always exceed our expectations. But that doesn't mean you'll get the job that you want. It doesn't mean that that your spouse will, will always behave the way you want or that your kids will act right all the time, the, the expectations that you might have. Everybody here, I think, in some way or another is living in the valley of I didn't think it would look like this, right? You got something where it's like, this is not exactly how I would have drawn it up. What makes us different, and I really want us to be different, what makes us different is we say, I still claim that valley as I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do the hard thing because I belong to the Lord Almighty. David is in his lowest place. I mean, it's the lowest place in the world. Don't you think God's trying to teach us something here? David's in the lowest place of the world, and he catches the king who's trying to take his life with his pants down. And he doesn't do what his buddies say to do. He does what God says to do. And it's there, if you're in that place, it's, if you're in that valley, it's there that you're going to have to talk to God not about God. Talking about God's not going to be enough. You're going to have to talk with God. Was David talking about En Gedi when he said, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow? I think it was somewhere in there, that, that story. But believe it or not, the cave in En Gedi was not the lowest point in David's life. And believe it or not, the valley of Elah and the, the fight against Goliath was not the most dangerous place that David ever found himself. David's darkest valley came when he was seated on the throne in the palace on top of Mount Zion as the king of Israel. His lowest point came when he had the highest view. 
2 Samuel chapter 11 says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So three stories this morning. I know it's been a lot, but I knew you could, I knew you could handle it. The first is David is young and he fights Goliath. The second is David's a little bit older, but not yet the king. He's on the run. And here, David has lived into God's big dream for his life. And you heard it, right? In the time when kings go to war, David stayed home. Somehow, rising up to that high place led David to be lax in what God had called him to do. And so here's the story. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. David has made a big mess from his high up place, and he makes it even worse when he sends Bathsheba's husband to the front lines of battle, only the king could do that, to the front lines of the battle. It was a setup to be killed. David finds himself in the tailspin that sin brings when we try to cover up sin with more sin. David is in the valley of the mess made by sin. This one is not a geographic low place, but David has never been lower and if you've ever been in this valley, and I don't know anyone that hasn't, you know it feels as if you're lower than if you were underground in En Gedi. You can't get out. You can't get out on your own. It's in this place, guys, it's in this place that David is confronted by a man of God, a guy named Nathan, a prophet. Nathan has the courage to come and speak to the king, and he exposes this mess that David has made of his life and his kingdom. And this is what David says. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. We love David's heart for that, don't we? That in that moment, when, when everything was falling apart, he still said the right thing. He said, this is what I've done. I've sinned against the Lord. But as I looked about, at it this week, it scared me at first because you see it? David's talking about God in a moment when he really needs to be talking <laughs> to God. Um, but... 2 Samuel chapter 12 is not the only place that we have words uh, about this conversation. David actually wrote a song about Nathan's encounter with him and exposing his mess. It's weird. It's almost the scripture. It almost sounds as if he wrote a song right then. You can make your own decision, but that's how it sort of looks. And that song is now called Psalm 51. So another one of those psalms is, comes from this moment. And here's what it says. If you looked in your Bible, Psalm 51, there's sort of words in italics. They are directive words uh, that come after the, the, the word Psalm 51. It says this, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. The Bible's amazing, isn't it? So real, so intimate. Can you imagine if every time we sang a song, we said, this is the one our king wrote when he committed adultery. David wrote a song and a prayer in this moment that he sent for the whole nation to be sung in worship. Whoa, that's, that's getting real. And in this song, there is no talking about God. 
There is no reference to God as he. I'm going to read some of it to you. This is Psalm 51, David's prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Listen to what David says. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your judgment and justified when you judge. And there's this beautiful portion of it in the middle. I'm skipping ahead where David says, create in me, God, a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. David's saying, save me, God. Do something new in me. Restore me. I've messed everything up. I have nowhere to turn except to you. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Have you ever felt that way in your own sin? God, don't get, go away from me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, he says, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This is just a snapshot of the beautiful, broken, honest prayer that David prays. But if you read it all, here's what you'll, here's what you'll see. There are 26 yous to zero he's. <laughs> this is David talking to God, talking with God, not about God. He's in the valley made by, uh, of a mess made by his sin. And that valley for David becomes the valley of repentance, rescue, and restoration repentance, rescue, and restoration. It's not without consequences. No, if you were to keep reading in the story, you will see that the consequences of David's sin are brutal. But repentance leads him to rescue and restoration. It's so cool in, that, in, the, in the Samuel scripture about this encounter, Nathan says to David, the Lord has taken away your sin. So this is long before Jesus. Our God has long been in the business of forgiving those who have no business being forgiven and wiping it away and giving them a new start and rescuing them. Was David talking about the valley of the mess made by his sin when he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow? I think so. I think so. So here we go. You know what valley you're in. You know, my guess is that everybody here is in some valley, you know, one valley or another. Are you in the valley of your greatest battle? Is that where you are right now? Well, God is with you, and this could be the valley of God's greatest glory in your life. It's hard to see right now. Are you in the valley of, I didn't think it would look like this, ever, my wildest imagination. I never thought it would look, look like this. Well, I urge you to claim it as the valley of, but I'm still gonna be faithful. I'm gonna do the hard thing. I'm gonna do the right thing in this valley. Are you in the valley of the mess made by your sin? I've been there, and if you're in that valley right now, you will not be met here by people that will condemn you or judge you, no. But a goodness and a mercy that will follow you all the days of your life. All throughout this Psalm, David has been painting this picture, we've seen it, of a kind shepherd because God's kindness leads us to repentance. Now, you will have to talk to God about it, all right? This is, about, this is between you and God, all this stuff. This is the, these are the moments where you can stop you know, talking about God or coming to a place to hear about God or but actually talking with God, and I promise you, you will find rescue and sweet restoration. What I'm saying, I'll close this out. What I'm saying is, if you're in a panic attack story right now, or if you're like, I'm an adult and I have kids and I don't know what to do story, or I'm, I'm, still, I'm still isolating myself story, or I'm floundering right now story, then you're in a valley. And in a valley, you can make the switch from a God who you know about 
to a God you know. And that's what David shows us. He just lays it out there, no shame. He's, he's telling us about God, and he's like, oh, wait a second, the valley, you were with me, God. You saved me. You got me through it. And so I want us to say the psalm again and kind of feel that change that happens and feel in our hearts a movement from talking about God to talking to God. So I invite you to say the 23rd Psalm with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Let me say that again. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. So I invite you just in some quiet moments to confess your sins silently to God. now as the church has done for a long time and it's important I invite you to join me as we confess our sins uh, before God and one another and invite you to pray this prayer with me that'll be on the screen merciful God we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart we have failed to be an obedient church we have not done your will we have broken your law we have rebelled against your love we have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Now, this is me talking to you. Hear the good news. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Now I need y'all to say this part to me, okay? Glory to God, amen. Let us pray. Oh God, as we come to this table that is set for us, bread and juice, let it be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may receive him today, what he wants to give us, that we change our expectations um, to be what Christ wants for us. That we would accept forgiveness and forgiveness of all of our sins, that they'd be wiped away, not because of anything that we could do, not by our might, but through your power and through what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. We receive you today in Jesus' name, amen.